What I think what we can learn and where I think the 3D printing with the plant-based material can get us that we can kind of mimic something which is grown naturally. We can mimic it by growing it, I, I use the word growing it, with a machine. Hello and welcome to the Culture and Technology Podcast. I'm your host, Severin Matusek. The Culture and Technology Podcast is a virtual salon initiated by the Vienna Business Agency in which we explore how technology is reshaping the future of culture. 3D printing has come a long way since the 1980s. Similar to computers, the 3D printers in the early days were these big, slow and expensive devices that only a few experts could access. But fast forward to today, 3D printers have reached a level of quality, precision and price that allows almost anyone to get started with it. They allow us to make complex digital models a physical reality. And as such, 3D printing creates entirely new shapes, geometries and materials that would otherwise be impossible to manufacture. I wonder how that changes our creativity. How does it change what we can produce in architecture product design and fashion? And can 3D printing make production even more sustainable? Because it literally leaves zero waste. That's what I wanted to find out in my conversation with Julia Körner. Julia is one of the world's leading 3D fabrication designers. She creates 3D printed high fashion pieces, designs costumes for Hollywood movies, and currently works on her own collection using natural materials and sustainable production techniques. Living and working in both Austria and California, Julia joined our virtual salon today on a sunny morning from her home in Los Angeles. So we are talking about the future of fashion and technology today. I've been doing my research and I saw that in a publication about a year ago, you were called the architecture queen of 3D fabrication. Please elaborate. What's the story of being the architecture queen of 3D fabrication? Yeah, this was a very nice article uh, in, in Archinect, and I think um, one of the more extensive ones, which uh, took a deep dive into um, my experiences over the past um, 15, 20 years within the industry of architecture, but also within um, kind of my work, which crosses into other disciplines such as product design and fashion design. I think that um, the title kind of came from our conversation about um, how complex uh, computational design and uh, digital design is and how the translation towards uh, the reality, making the creations tangible, has so many different routes. A lot of those routes opened up with digital fabrication and emergent technologies such as 3D printing, CNC milling, and uh, robotic fabrication. I have explored those fields intensively, starting at the University of Applied Arts in Vienna and later on at the Architectural Association in London. And over the past 10 years, I've been a professor at UCLA looking into digital and computational design and robotic fabrication. And also professionally, I've explored this um, 
field extensively with many collaborations, building up a brand, looking into kind of how can we utilize these emergent technologies in the various different fields and how can we utilize architectural processes for different applications than we might think in the first place. I'm curious, I'm an outsider to this scene, so I don't know anything about 3D imprinting. I don't know anything about algorithms and architecture. And to me as an outsider, I think it often seems like, oh, nowadays you can print almost everything 3D. You know, there are large printers, smaller printers, and all you need to do is create a model on your computer and then you hit a button and that machine is going to print it. But of course, it's, it's not that easy. So I wonder... From when you started 15 or 20 years ago, and I know that somehow you first discovered a 3D printer at university where they got delivered, nobody knew what to do with it. So how did 3D printing evolve over the last 15, 20 years as part of your career and your um, investigation into it? I think that um, 3D printing can be understood as a technique of a fabrication which is wasteless and a technique of producing a design which is very complex and I mean in terms of geometry so very organic forms um, which have a lot of um, shapes and curves and uh, which cannot be necessarily produced with traditional fabrication techniques. You can produce various colors and materials which are maybe uh, different and you can introduce aesthetics which don't look like they are handmade and so they they can have a very different aesthetic. This technology was really attractive for us as students at the University of Applied Arts because we were exploring 3D software in designing architectural projects with the computer and thinking about how can we re-envision spaces and how can we re-envision experiences, how one experiences space? By looking at, um, at references, but also by innovating on novel geometries, which were only possible to produce with the computer. And then as the next question came, well, if we can visualize those with the computer, how can we make them tangible? How can we output them? So these kind of uh, computer numeric control techniques allowed us to realize those forms and shapes with non-traditional methods of fabrication. And so what a 3D printer does in basic, it is it takes a geometry and then it slices it into sections and then it lays out material layer by layer and builds up the geometry in a physical space without utilizing any scaffolding or outside mold material, which is later on being waste. And so you really only need that material in the production, which is the one you need in the final product, which is revolutionary because you can produce in a sustainable way. Also, because you have the digital files which you create with the computer, you can send them internationally anywhere where you are, maybe in Los Angeles or in Vienna, and you can 3D print your designs if you have a machine on location. So you can print on location and you can print on demand. So you don't have to mass produce in advance in a different country. You can actually produce everything what you want on location. That means you know 
what kind of materials go into the machine, you know, what resources you use. And it's a kind of innovative new way of fabrication. What I thought was interesting in the architectural world, and to come back to your question, how it evolved, was that at the beginning, the machines were very small and there was a limitation. And we utilized in architecture the machines to produce architectural models. Later on, the machines developed, got larger in scale, and over the time we were able to produce complex geometries on larger scales. Today we can 3D print already buildings or bridges or larger scale furnitures. The technology has advanced a lot and so has the material um, developed as well. So we can print today with biodegradable materials, plant-based materials, ceramics, a lot of materials which we couldn't even have imagined 15 years ago. So when you say buildings and bridges, that means entire bridges, like 10, 15, 100 meters long, are being printed with 3D printers today? I think the largest bridge I saw is about five meters. So um, I think if we're talking about 100 meters, then you probably would print it in parts and put the parts together. But yes, there are robots and uh, technologies which allow us to already go larger in scale with 3D printing technology. Can I envision the development of 3D printing over the last 15 years similar to computers, the internet and computing power? That simply if you compare a computer from today to a computer from 15 years ago, it's 100 times better. It's 100 times faster. It's 100 times more powerful. Is this the same with the 3D printing? Did it go as fast in its development as other technologies? I would say that the precision and the advancement in the resolution advanced perhaps maybe more in the smaller scale than in the larger scale. So I know that, for example, in the medical industry, um, there was a lot of research produced of how to 3D print um cellulose or how to 3D print bone structures, even hearts, organs, they are 3D printing. And so I think that there was a lot of research in, in qualitative development in the medical industry. I think in the 3D printing on, on the larger scale, we advanced the size. I wouldn't say we necessarily advanced the precision or the kind of complexity. So detailed 3D printing with highly complex geometries, I think is still more advanced on the smaller scales. Your comparison is kind of interesting because with the computer, everything went from like a room-sized computer to a smart watch, right? So we it, it went like down in size, versus in, in the 3D printing, it went like larger went up, but in many different directions, actually. I think that there was just so many developments in so many disciplines, which are really great. You started with 3D printing as part of your architecture studies. So you trained to be an architect originally. And then at some point, you discovered that you can actually 3D print on fabric and create some sort of fashion pieces out of it and you created the first clothing. So how did that work? How did the discovery work? Uh, when was the first time you created a fashion item and, and how did that develop? 
So one thing that was really interesting at, at the Angewandte was that the way of how the building was organized was that there was on the ground floor, there was a Wolf Pricks architecture studio and then sandwiched in between was product design. And then there was a Greg Lynn studio, another architecture studio. And then on top of it was fashion. So while we were kind of moving through the building, we met a lot of other designers in the various different disciplines. And so... As it turned out, we were going to the fashion designers to help us on sewing tents for a Red Bull pavilion design, while the architects were kind of involved in um, 3D printing and fabricating shoes for the fashion designer. So that was kind of my first exposure to the uh, transdisciplinary approach and what these technologies allow us to do. Other than that, I was working for five years with uh, Ross Lovegrove. Um, I started working with him. He's an industrial designer in London. Started working with him while I was still a student and then actually moved to London and explored with him the application of architectural design processes in product design. And so I was involved in several light designs we did for Artemida, where we looked into uh, the complexity of uh, utilizing um, techniques which are produced by architects in the computational design process and how to apply them onto products and kind of understanding the translation of software, the translation of methods of precision, uh, because it's quite different scale. Um, that was really interesting. And around that time, I was also starting to design my first uh, products and fashion pieces. I got to know a 3D printing company really well, Materialize in Belgium. And through my work with them, they um, started to recommend me to fashion designers to uh, work with 3D printing in fashion design. And so some of my first collaborations were with... Um, Iris van Herpen, or one of the uh, very famous uh, fashion house in, in Paris, uh, one of the oldest embroidery houses, Maison Lesage, and um, kind of looking into how we can realize uh, entirely three-dimensionalized fashion pieces, which are then 3D printed in, in three dimensions. So that came before printing on fabric or anything understanding how can we 3D print with flexible material. And you can imagine a full dress just coming out of a machine as a three-dimensional piece. At the beginning, it was still hard because we were only having hard materials, so it was quite brittle. But then uh, the materials developed in advance and we were able to print in flexible material. And most recently, I've been exploring the 3D printing directly on the fabrics. I think that that one is actually a kind of an interesting one because it's almost 2D printing because you're putting a textile into the machine and then you're 3D printing on top of it. But you're not necessarily creating the dress in third dimension. It's a bit complex and I don't want to go too much into it. But um, this is how I kind of got into the industry, first through a lot of uh, collaboration with fashion houses. I always felt they were so short because there were only like two months to design things. And then um, it was, went on the catwalk, it went uh, into Paris Haute Couture, and then it was shown in museums uh, such as the Met in New York. 
But then it always stopped. I always was so curious how to continue the research. And that was when I decided to found my own company and produce more research and develop my own brand and kind of look into how can the research advance the techniques, which I then utilize in my collaborations again. So I'm also curious about um, the Black Panther collaboration, because I think this is the, the biggest and most impactful uh, work that you've done that you've got very well known for. You designed a lot of the costumes um, for that epic movie. How did that happen? Um, it's it's the way how you tell the story. I had this image in my head where, you know, if I think about fashion and production techniques, I think throughout history, there's, of course, this tradition that in certain places, certain crafts emerge and certain techniques and then fashion houses go to specific people because they master that craft. So it sounds to me almost like your collaborations with Iris Van Herpen or with Black Panther, they come to you because they understand you master that craft or you work with that for 15 years. And that's a skill and a knowledge that simply can't be replicated by someone in a day or something. So how did it happen with Black Panther? Black Panther was very interesting because Ruth Carter, she had seen the uh, designs I had made on the Haute Couture shows in Paris. And she was really interested in realizing something like this in the costumes for Black Panther. And Ruth Carter is the head of costume design of Black Panther at the Marvel Productions. And so she had seen the work at the Paris Haute Couture shows and was really interested to realize uh, something 3D printed as part of the costume designs. And so she reached out to me because she saw that I'm an expert in the field and she wanted to bring me on um, to work with her. Back then, I had never done a film before never done costumes before. And I've also had no idea who Ruth Carter was or what movie I'm actually working on because everything was totally under secret and non-disclosure agreements and top secret uh, code names and everything. And so I started working on the project and was kind of curious the code name was Motherland. I had no idea there was like a, an African film in the 70s. And I was like, is this a remake? What is this going to be? And so I started working with her. And a lot of time of the process of working with her went into explaining to her what materials are there, what techniques are there, what could we actually produce for this film. And then we did a lot of research into African patterns and kind of looked into traditional Zulu patterns and African um, Zulu hats and um, drawings, African patterns. And I then developed um, the first initial concept ideas. It was a back and forth process where she would kind of look at the design, say, let's change this and that. And it was kind of a a really great collaboration because we both learned a lot from each other. And then uh, the actress was cast and I had to adapt the designs to the new sizes of the character. And there the computational design came in really handy because I was able to just change the circumference of the head and all the design adapted to it automatically. So I didn't have to recreate everything once the character was cast. And then I kind of put one and one together. I knew when the filming started, I knew who the actress was. And I kind of figured out what movie I'm working on. 
and still didn't really know what that meant because I was a little bit into Marvel, but not that much. So I didn't expect the impact of the film. And then it was two months before the film came into the, the movie theaters and it just had blew all the records of pre-sale. All the tickets were sold out and I was like, what is this? Like, this is amazing. And then to kind of see what impact the film had on the black community and how it kind of affected the spirit. And you saw little girls who all in a sudden could identify themselves with princesses because all in a sudden there was a black princess in a superhero film. It was really, really amazing to see. And also for me as a European, kind of interesting to experience the American black culture and what kind of impact it had. And having been able to contribute to that was really exciting. And seeing that Ruth Carter won um, as the first uh, African-American woman an Oscar in the costume category was also really exciting because we kind of shared the success and uh, she involved me in many interviews and uh, kind of gave me a platform to talk about my work internationally and probably had more outreach than I had a, ever could have dreamed of because who goes to a Paris Haute Couture show? That's a very inclusive, small group of people who get to see that, right? And so everyone can go to the cinema and see a film or even watch it at home. And so that was a very different kind of impact I expected and a really good experience. I want to talk about your company and your current research and what you're interested in developing for the future. So I wonder, you told me you work on a lot of sustainable designs right now and on your own first fashion collection, trying to uh, scale a little bit the individual designs that you've made one off pieces until now and trying to, to make collections out of it. How, how does it work? Where are you in that process and what can we expect in the future? So in 2015, I designed my first ready-to-wear collection where I collaborated with Stratasys, a 3D printing company here in the US, uh, to design the Sporophyte collection. And it was um, inspired by natural systems such as kelp and uh, fungi and kind of patterns which I found in nature and then 3D scanned and mimicked in the designs. And it was merely to showcase what's possible with the technology. Then in 2017, I designed a second collection, which was called the Iceland Collection, in which I focused more on accessories and smaller scale applications. And I also focused on how to combine the 3D printing elements with traditional methods, such as sewing them on leather or other textiles and kind of figuring out how I can make it more accessible and reduce the price of the pieces and maybe go more into a series. And I sold a few of those pieces um, to private clients and to museums, but also, for example, Google acquired some for a new app, what they had developed, which was a kind of augmented reality app where you can go uh, and shop your piece virtually uh, which was kind of a cool application. And following the Iceland collection over the, the last four years, I've focused more and more on new innovations like the textile printing. So printing in multicolor on textiles without using any color dyes, 
no water um, and showcasing pieces which kind of are very organic and move with the body because of the relationship of the textile and the print. And at the same time, I looked more into plant-based materials. And so um, I'm right now um, developing a clutch, which is um, made out of a plant-based material. It's uh, printed with a liquid plant-based resin. And the idea with this clutch is that um, everything, including the hinge and the clasp and everything is printed out of the same material. Therefore, it becomes much more sustainable in its production way, but also if you ever want to recycle it, it isn't made out of five different materials. And also um, the idea of this kind of local production, on-demand, customized, personalized products is something I want to realize with this first uh, product. And I also looked more towards home decor and um, kind of applications which are um, products which you can use at home through the pandemic. I saw that a lot of people spent more time at home and I interested to kind of have more things around themselves at, at home. And so that is something I'm also kind of currently looking at uh, developing further and always with keeping in mind the sustainable aspect of the additive manufacturing, uh, the kind of no waste production and on demand localized and kind of knowing what goes into the product. Sustainability in fashion is a huge topic for many brands and companies worldwide as more and more consumers demand that from, from companies. Do you think that 3D printing in fashion will go out of its niche and become mass culture? Like, can I go to H&M and Zara and uh, uh, Primark in the future and buy 3D printed garment? Will this, will this be a future that we will see? This is my favorite question. I get this over the last 15 years in every interview. And I'm saying I'm not an oracle. I cannot predict the future what it is, but I definitely see the impact of it, what it already has. I see fashion brands right now already looking at 3D printing in shoes and accessories. And I see it coming in the future with mass production as well. It is a matter of costs because 3D printing is still a rather expensive technology but as the demand will increase and as the fashion industry will have to look at alternative methods of production I do see a future in it definitely. My wish would be that there would be more attention to it. As you said at the beginning there is very little people who actually understand what 3D printing means and I recently had a friend of mine who works for NASA come to my studio and he, he works with 3D printing since many years. And he said he never really understood what 3D printing in fashion could do. And then he came, visited my studio and he looked at the things and he was like, now I really understand what it is, what impact it can have. And so my personal wish would be that it got a lot of attention, got a lot of hype in all of the collaborations I did. I remember when I was working with Iris in, in 2014, one of the dresses was showcased in the National Geographics next to a 3D printed ear and a 3D printed NASA suit. But I don't think that there was ever a publication which really kind of 
reached a broad audience and made them understand what the impact of this could be or like make them understand of how that actually works. And I only see now, especially in the sports industry, companies starting to look at this in the active wear more and more. I'm surprised it is so slow because it, it there's really a lot of potential and I, I really hope that more people gonna work with these techniques and implement it in the future because I just see so much potential in it. Do you think that technologies like 3D printing can bring us closer to nature in a way? I think we often have in our heads this distinction that technology is somehow opposed to nature because technology is man-made and it's very cold and, and machines and we don't associate nature necessarily with technology. But the way you describe 3D printing and uh, natural materials and your research, it actually sounds like this kind of 3D printing can get us closer to nature because we can mimic nature in a better way than we could do without technology. What do you think? I think that the beauty in nature is that most of the elements, they grow out of the same material. So when you look at a flower, for example, or a plant, everything grows out of the same material and the plant grows harder and stiffer where it needs to be more structural and it can have really soft and uh, beautiful colors and leaves in other places of, of its structure. And so it grows out of the same material. And that is something really beautiful, which I think in, in anything which what we humans have produced are rarely able to mimic because everything is always a composite of multiple materials. Like if you look at a chair or a table, it's always made out of multiple different materials. And rarely there are designs which you find which don't use any adhesives, which don't use any screws, which don't use any kind of other elements which put it together, which are produced in different areas of the world, shipped all together to be assembled and then shipped again to one location. And so if, if you look at how a car is produced or how a chair is produced or anything which kind of surrounds you, the impact of what the manufacturing of it is, what you're talking about, is this very kind of non-natural way of growth, a non-natural way of something being put together. And it's the impact of all the shipping around the globe is, is really bad for our climate and, and for our situation. What I think what we can learn and where I think the 3D printing with the plant-based material can get us that we can kind of mimic something which is grown naturally. We can mimic it by growing it. I, I use the word growing it with a machine. So when I'm talking about the clutch, what I design and thinking that it's made out of plant-based material, the kind of analogy of something being grown is very close, right? Are you using a machine to kind of make it and then where the hinge is, it becomes stiffer. Where the clasp is, it's a bit more flexible. And so you can kind of integrate material properties with one single material. And then there are also machines which do multi-material printing already. So you can kind of make a shoe sole, which is soft at one end and hard at another end. And so I, I do agree with you that the that the 3D printing kind of brings us closer to natural processes because we can all in a sudden imagine that we can grow things with machines similarly how nature does it. 
if you are interested. To find out more about Julia Corner, her work, and the things we discussed, check out the show notes in your podcast app. We left a few links for you to read and get deeper into the topic of 3D printing. The Culture and Technology Podcast is produced by the Vienna Business Agency. The Vienna Business Agency supports businesses, the economy, and the city to develop Vienna's creative industries further. My name is Severin, over and out. Until next time.